When I uh, took up my current position over at the seminary, our maintenance guy, in the spirit of our gospel today, half-jokingly said, Father, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And then he proceeded to whip out this giant ring of dozens and dozens of keys. One or two of them looked like they might have been cut after 1970, but the vast majority of them probably went back to about 1920. There were old skeleton keys, there were all kinds of keys, and he assured me these keys would open every door on this campus. So one day, having way too much free time on my hands, I just randomly picked a door. There's about 300 of them over there. And uh, got my key ring, you know, all those keys. And I went through one by one, and I tried every one of those suckers, and not one of them would open the door. <laughs> and I never forgot that, especially in light of church talk and keys of the kingdom and, and all that stuff. It's one thing to have the right key, but what you really need to have is the right door. And I'd like to suggest that if there's one takeaway from this very familiar gospel and very familiar phrase that we can actually put to work in the spiritual life in a real pragmatic kind of way, it's just to keep that image of, okay, I know I've got the right key. I've been baptized, I've got the sacraments. We know all the Catholic stuff. But it's not always so easy to find the right door. That first reading, and maybe Shebna and Aliakam are not household names to you. So let me just slice through the Old Testament verbiage for a minute and lay bare what's going on there. What's going on is it's a time in Israel's history where they're being threatened by a superpower. It was Assyria at the time. And the ruler of Israel, being afraid of being taken over, destroyed by the superpower. He basically tries to cut all these deals with other nations in the area, many of whom were Israel's enemies. And the reason Israel's in trouble in the first place is because they haven't been faithful to the covenant and God isn't punishing them, but there are consequences to what they've done. So anyways, long story short, God is basically saying to the king, just trust me. You don't have to try and make all these side deals on your own. You don't have to try to come up with some scheme. It's probably not going to work anyways. Just trust me. That doesn't mean you're not going to get whomped by the Assyrians. It doesn't mean there may not be consequences for what you've done. But trust that I'm not going anywhere. And this king just isn't buying it. So he gets deposed. And in the reading for today, God is saying to the new king, and we're not told why he was chosen, but he's saying to him, look, you get it for whatever reason, and I'm giving you the key to the kingdom. That's why the church gives us this reading, obviously paired up with that gospel. But my point is this, the key to the kingdom, whatever it is, is all about finding the door into God's truth. And what that door looks like is trust. The ability to trust in God's presence. But here's the thing. Trusting in God's presence doesn't mean trusting in some super force that's going to magically take away the consequences of whatever you've done. You can look it up in the Bible. The Assyrians do a lot of damage before the Israelites are ultimately free. But the point is, the message is, the key to the kingdom 
is the key that recognizes the door it fits, is the door that says, okay, God, I trust that you're going to be with me. And that door, if it were left up to me, would look a certain way. It would open the way into a God who's going to take care of my problems. And a lot of times, I think that's how we think about God. Maybe not so explicitly, but do we really trust the presence of God in the midst of whatever it is that's happening that maybe isn't the way we'd like it to happen? Fast forward about 600 years to St. Peter. There he is. He's got the key. What's the key? Jesus is the Messiah. He nails it. Who do people say that I am? You're the Messiah. Now, if Peter could craft the door that that key goes to, it would be a doorway into a messianic king, the kind of king like the guy in the first reading wanted, a king that would take care of the Romans, a king that would take care of all the problems that Israel was facing. If Peter were given the chance, and he's got the key that's the Messiah, the door that it would open is the door into a God who would follow his script. And so the church very conveniently cuts it off where it does today. Peter, way to go. Keys to the kingdom. But in the very next couple of verses, Peter takes that key and he discovers he's at the wrong door. Like me, stupidly standing there, going through 70 keys. Because maybe the next one will do it. Why do I say that? Because in the very next breath, Jesus tells him what his door looks like, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die, that he's going to be rejected. And Peter just can't recognize it. He can't take it. And they're a long way from the crucifixion. So it's just the very thought that Jesus might not be the person he thought he was. We've all had that experience, I think, of having people in our lives who turn out not to be who we so desperately wanted them to be. Maybe somebody in a relationship, maybe someone in our family, somebody that we work with. Sometimes that somebody is ourselves. And there's Peter, and there's Jesus saying, this is what the door looks like that your key opens, pal. And he resists. That's a scene where Jesus calls him Satan. Get out of here. I was just called stupid with my keys. He gets called Satan. And then to drive the point home, if you keep reading in the gospel, Jesus says, oh, and by the way, you've got to do the same thing. You've got to be willing to take up your cross. If you want that key to be worth anything, you've got to be willing to live like I live. And this isn't because Christianity is all about masochism or pointless suffering. It's not the suffering, it's the trust. It's the trust in the ability to say the love of God is not a consolation prize. The superpower threatening Israel didn't magically go away just because Israel had gotten themselves in a bad spot. But the love of God didn't go away either. And the love of God is not a consolation prize. It's transformative. Peter couldn't get it at the time. He kept trying to shove his key in the wrong lock. Eventually, he would understand because the love of Jesus is not a consolation prize. And when Jesus was on the cross, very, very dead, and seemingly everything had fallen apart, Jesus hadn't gone anywhere. His love hadn't gone anywhere. His spirit hadn't gone anywhere. And if we can just stay there in the moment, and I know every ounce of our human nature in those moments wants to run away, 
Cut yourself away from the drama of the Old Testament or the crucifixion, much less dramatic things, but a lot of us are wrapped up in things even these days that we just as soon get away from if we could, and maybe we're physically present because we have to be, but internally we've checked out. Maybe it has nothing to do with big things on the world stage. Maybe they are just some of those quiet moments, something going on very interiorly in our lives, but we know the feeling. We know the feeling when we just want to get away because seemingly that other person hasn't followed our script. And if we're brutally honest, we're holding God to the same standard and why has he let this happen? Or maybe even more likely in our era today, most people aren't atheists. There's just a kind of apathy, right? Okay, there's a God, there's not a God. Does it really make much difference? I don't see much effect in my life because we got that key and we keep trying to shove it in the wrong door. The love of God is not a consolation prize any more than the love of your husband or wife or child or parent. And we all know those human loves at times come up short. And it can feel like the love of God has the same limitation. And you never really know what that love looks like unless you can stay and open your heart. What does that look like? Looks like prayer. Looks like what draws us together tonight. I meant it when I said at the start of Mass, what is our foundation? Okay, it's Jesus Christ, but it's actually being here with each other. And whoever you're seeing across the church, use your x-ray eyes, peer through their mask. But that's our foundation, and that's our little witness that says, this is the right door. I'm not running away. And whatever it takes in this week as a little spiritual exercise, maybe just an encouragement to all of us to say, whatever it is that I bring in my faith, whatever it is that I value, whatever it is that I want to teach my children, whatever it is that I've received from those who've taught me, Lord, just give me the wisdom, but above all, the patience and the courage to stand at the right door and gently let the key go in. Not because I forced it, not because I've desperately hoped that I found the right one, but simply because that door is always there if we're willing to stand before it and seek it out.